We want to land um, a series that we've been doing over the summer called The Words and the Way of Jesus, where we've been, um, yeah, you can scan this if you've got a smartphone, scan that, it will find all the links to everything I've just talked about. Uh, we've been talking about um, the parables of Jesus, the words and the way of Jesus. In his words, in these stories, he reveals what the kingdom is like. He re- reveals what he is like and what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, and so we've been focusing on them over the summer. And I'm going to land today a little bit differently. I'm just going to do a short reflection uh, on the prodigal son uh, as we then head into communion, uh, which will be fun today as we try and um, all line up for that. But let's, let's go for it. Um, let me read this out to you. If you want to follow on, there should be some Bibles around. If you want to grab it, you can totally do that. Uh, and uh, I will, it's going to be slightly different. It's going to be me picking out different reflections. So my hope is, as I throw out these little reflections, which is similar to what we do on bread on a Thursday, um, God's just going to let one or two of them just sing into your heart. Okay, so my encouragement would be just to um, pray to Jesus now and just um, open your heart up to him, that you might receive something that would feed you today, that would bring you life, uh, that would form you more into the, into the likeness of Jesus. Uh, Let me read it out to you. The parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. All right. Let me just walk through it bit by bit and pick out some little nuggets for us to um, feed on today. Obviously, the father represents God in this story. Um, and uh, and it, there's this bit in uh, verse 12, if you're following along. Have we got it on the screen? Is it possible to get it on the screen? No. No. Um, 
but uh, you feel free to get your phones out or, or be on a Bible or whatever. It's absolutely fine. Father, give me my share of the estate. This was uh, a shocking statement to say in that culture, as you may well know. But to do so, essentially ask for your inheritance early, uh, was essentially to wish your father dead. And it would have been a gross um, uh, sort of um, disrespect uh, to the family unit and to, to the father. And so there's this shock already at the beginning of the story for those um, listeners at the beginning uh, when they would have been listening to this for the first time. So, but he divided his property between them. Not long after that, he heads off and sets off for a distant uh, country and squanders his wealth. And he ends up feeding pigs. This is the kind of pit. It almost represents the bottom of everything that he could have got to as a Jewish man feeding the pigs, the lowest of the low. And, uh, and it's really interesting. What you have here is someone who was with his father in relationship, draws down the resources and then leaves relationship, goes away. And I wondered just as a first reflection, how often in our life we can essentially um, draw down in our prayer life and in how we look at God, we want to draw down his resources for us but actually then go off and use them in our life for our benefit, it's a supposed benefit. The reality is, is that the rich inheritance that we all have as a result of what Jesus has done on the cross is a relational inheritance. We get to draw down in the most miraculous, gracious, stunning way, relationship with our Father. And uh, here he goes after this drawdown of practical resources, but abandoned the relationship. But we have a relational inheritance. And I just want to ask you, um, I was at this wedding yesterday and the guy prayed over me and said, God, would, you, um, would he receive the gift that is you? Would you bless him with the presence that is your, uh, with the gift that is yourself? That is what Jesus has won for us on the cross. He's won us relationship with the Father. And so often in my life, and I'm guessing in yours, in our prayer life and how we view God, we view him as a, as a sort of a, a resources we can tap into for the needs of our life rather than enjoying him for himself and being immersed in his presence. So that's just the first little, little reflection that you might want to take away from this is are you going after the resources that the God gives us graciously? You know, he actually does divide up the inheritance, even though it was a wrong request, right? He, he's gracious in doing it, but uh, in the process, he lost relational connection. When he came to his senses, he suddenly realizes, well, all these people back who are just working for my father, they are better off than I am. I'm going to be his son, but I've done all this stuff and I couldn't possibly be worthy of sonship. And so he starts to think like a hired servant, like someone who earns their way in the home, earns their way uh, to favor and connection in the home. Another chance to just reflect. Firstly, like, do you feel in any way in a far off distant land as a result of things you've done? or who you are, or history in your life, that you are far away and undeserving of a return. So often we get to that place, and our identity becomes defined, uh, starts to get defined by the things we've done and the mistakes we've made, right? And it's not to say that they weren't mistakes, by the way. The gospel doesn't say, we, oh, it's okay, you didn't do anything wrong. It's acknowledging the fact that we are all broken and make mistakes, but he gets into this mindset of, like, I couldn't possibly be worthy of sonship. I couldn't possibly go home as a son. And so he starts to take on a mindset of being a hired servant, someone who will earn their way back. And I don't know about you, but for me, certainly, this is so often subtly the case. 
we may not be off literally feeding pigs, although some of you may be doing that. Um, uh, I think it'd be fair to say in this room. Uh, but but um, but it may not feel as dramatic as this story. You know, the story that Jesus tells here. But so often we do find ourselves away from God, almost hiding from Him, thinking about what we've done, becoming defined by our actions and our mistakes. And so thinking, I've got to earn my way back into the presence of God. And I just want to ask you, is that anywhere in you right now? Just subtly, this perception that I've got to earn my way back into my Father's presence. Has it crept in? Have you started to become, uh, your identity started to become defined by the mistakes that you're making, the inadequacies you've got, the failures you've had as a person, as a parent, as a worker, whatever it might be. And you started to adopt, uh, I must be a hard servant. I've got to earn my way back. And then there's this amazing moment where he gets up. This is amazing, by the way. He gets up, like credit to him, uh, and he goes back. And then there's this moment uh, where it says, when he was still far off. And I wish we were out on the lawn today because we'd be able to have a better understanding of what this looks like. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was a long way off. Uh, and this means um, the, the, the father in the story isn't sort of tapping his foot, as I'll read in a minute from a little quote, sort of just um, cross with his son and like resenting him. It means that every single day it sounds like he's got out onto his porch, he's got out onto the edge of his property, and is just looking, hoping, wanting, desiring his son to come home. He knows he's done wrong. But in this story, though the son is sitting there trembling, like, oh, can I even go back? You imagine that the other end, the father's looking for him, saying, please come back. Please come back. And I just want to say that to you today, if you feel like the, the, the son who's made mistakes, like the father, our father in heaven is, is looking out, hoping for your return. And every single day he goes out to the edge of his land to look for his son. And when his father saw him, he was filled with compassion for him. He was filled with compassion for him. There is genuine wrongdoing. There is genuine hurt here. And yet the father's response is first to look for him and hope for him. And then it is when he sees him just to be filled with compassion. Filled with compassion. This gut, the, the Greek is like gut-wrenching feeling of emotion, of love for his son. We can theorize that. We can know that to be true as Christians. You may not be a Christian here today. You may be able to conceptualize this idea of grace, but do you feel that gaze of your father on you today? Despite what you've done. Do you, do you feel that gaze of him looking out for you, wanting you to come into his presence? And then when he sees you, that compassion that fills him, that raw love that fills him when he sees you. And so he ran to his son. He ran to his son. And uh, I've shared about this before, but this is, this is to, he would have been in robes, and so he would have had to like hike up uh, so he didn't trip uh, on that, and it would have exposed his ankles. I've actually exposed my legs today. Sorry about that. Uh, very inappropriate. Um, but, um, you know, that was really inappropriate in those days uh, and in that culture. And so he's running, and, and it's this amazing thing which is he's running because um, what we would have performed, basically when someone did what he has done, the community would not let him back in. 
basically, when he had done this. Uh, and so they would perform something called the Kezazar ceremony, uh, and they would get the pots from their home, so they see the son coming back, the one who has rejected the father and therefore the community, and they would get their pots, and they'd run, and they'd stand on the perimeter of the community of the household, and they would smash their pots on the ground, one after the other, uh, in the face of this person who's rejected them. And the whole point of that was to say, uh, that's our relationship. Our relationship is like that. Because of what you have done, our, our relationship is in a thousand pieces. The father knows that that is what is going to happen. And so he runs. He hitches up his robe. And, and to save the humiliation of the son, he humiliates himself. And this is what Jesus does on the cross. This is what he does for us. Is that he risks. And you think of Jesus being mocked and beaten and spat on. Uh, that is him being humiliated to save our humiliation. That is him running towards us with compassion uh, so that we do not experience the cutting off that was due, the shattering of the relationship. Uh, and so he gets there first and he says, our relationship is not in tatters because I love you. I'm your father. And he welcomes him back as a son, by the way, not as a hired servant, which he could well have done, right? Come back in, earn your stripes. We'll talk about it in a few years. Uh, but no, he welcomes him back, robe, ring, all these signs of inheritance and just this extraordinary riches. And the son is just overwhelmed and is, because he's being welcomed back. Like, he says, I'm just not worthy of this. I am not worthy of this. And there's a feast and they celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And I've said this before, but the journey that we are on as Christians is not from bad to good, but from dead to alive. That is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. If you turn the gospel into bad to good, then you will become a hired servant, earning your way back to the heart of your father. But it's not bad to good. It is dead to alive. It is lost to found because of the grace of Jesus on the cross. Do you have any uh, bad to good journey in you at the moment? Are you striving? Are you trying to earn? Are you trying to be a hired servant in the house of your father, trying to get your way back through your actions? It's a false gospel. It's a lie. And I would really encourage you to kind of banish it from your thinking and realize that you are taken from dead to alive, lost to found. And then we get to this older brother. Let me read this. It's just so beautiful. I cannot. Uh, this is about the, the bit that we've just done. The wayward son is not defined by his prodigality, by his mistakes, by his recklessness, but by the welcome of a father who never stopped looking, who is ever scanning the distance, and he runs to gather him up in an embrace. God is not tapping his foot judgmentally inside the door as you sneak in, crawling over the threshold in shame. He's the father running toward you, losing his sandals on the way, his robes spilling off his shoulders with a laughing smile whose joy says, <clears throat> had a late night, guys, I'm really emotional today, sorry. Uh, laughing smile whose joy says, I can't believe you came home. This is what grace looks like. That's by a guy called James K.A. Smith. We get to the older brother, and we'll be with this very briefly. The older brother um, hears the noise what an amazing picture that is, by the way. Like, we as a community should celebrate and make noise about grace. 
and, and about one another being receiving that grace. Like the world should hear it from us. It won't hear it from I always feel so affirmed by Dave. Um, I, you know, like, the, like the, the world should hear our noise, uh, the goodness of God. So he, um, yeah, he hears the noise, comes over, and then is cross. And the bit I just want to pick up on, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He refused to go into his father's house where the party was taking place. He's outside his father's house. And let me just, let me just read this one passage by an amazing, my favorite Catholic writer, Ronald Rohrheiser. And he says this, as we age, we can begin to trim down our spiritual vocabulary. And eventually we can get it down to three words, forgive, forgive, forgive. To die, oh, to die with a forgiving heart is the ultimate moral and religious imperative. We should not delude ourselves on this. All the dogmatic and moral purity in the world does little for us if our hearts are bitter and incapable of forgiveness. We see this in the Gospels, for instance, in the sad figure of the older brother of the prodigal son. He stands before his father, protesting that he has never wandered, never been unfaithful, and that he has stayed home and done the family's work. But, and this is the issue, he stands outside the father's house unable to enter into the joy, celebration, banquet, and the dance. He has done everything right, but a bitter heart prevents him from entering the father's house just as much as the lustful wanderings of his younger brother took him out of that same house. Religious and moral fidelity, when not rooted inside of gratitude and forgiveness, are far from enough. They can leave us just as much outside the father's house as sin and infidelity. As you go through life, and I talked about life's events harden our hearts and uh, the worship of Jesus softens them, uh, you know, do you retain a heart that is ready to forgive, forgive, forgive? Or are you so focused on getting things right, on the moral purity, um, that you can lose sight of the offensiveness of grace that is passed to you and to everyone around us?